All right, who's your one? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure why that merited applause, but yes, you're welcome. Who's your one? We started this conversation last week. Here's the idea. You were created to be an influence. So if you miss everything else, don't miss that. You were designed to be an influence for good and for God. So let's make a move in that direction. That's what these first four weeks are about. Let's think about one person in whose life we would like to see God move. And then we're going to pray for that person. So I'll give you more details in a minute. Let's kick this off with prayer. Father, thank you so much for drawing us here this morning. We don't believe we're here by accident, and we ask that you would help us break open our chests so that you could massage yourself and your truth into it. We welcome you. We believe you're here. And more than that, we invite you to speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you've seen the show. It's not a show, but the little thing that CNN does that they call heroes. They do these stories of people who do good for people. They're, they're moving stories they're inspiring stories, and they make us feel good. And not just because news is always bad and, and this is positive. I, I think they make us feel good because we were built to be influential. We were built to make a difference in the lives of others. Specifically, we were created to point others toward God. I want you to watch this video because that's the last thing Jesus told us in his ministry. Watch this. What did Jesus ask of his disciples when he made the Great Commission? Go therefore and... Eat your vegetables. Do unto others as you would have done unto you. Jump into the pool with a massive cannonball. Excel at all video games. Seeketh fame and glory. Do well in school. Mm. Eat chocolate and have fun. Treat the elderly with respect. Make disciples of all nations? That's it. The last thing Jesus told us in his ministry was to make disciples of all nations. To go find people who want to be students of his life and his way and show them what that is. Now the first prerequisite to pointing other people toward God is to be in a relationship with God yourself because you can't lead someone where you've never been. But that's not all. Today we're going to talk about an amazing encounter Jesus had with a group of friends that essentially offers us a glimpse at what I think is the second prerequisite to leading a life of influence, to leading a life that points others toward God. This story demonstrates for us an important part of what it takes to do that. What does it take to be a person of influence? So what do we need in order to live a life of influence for good and for God? What do we need to point others toward God? If we're going to live a life of influence, for good and for God, we need a faith-filled determination to bring our one to Jesus. We need a faith-filled determination to bring our one to Jesus. So let's look at this story. Luke chapter 5, and if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to look. If you don't, mygateway.life, if you go to the sermon card, the scripture is in there. It will also be on your screen. Luke is about uh, four-fifths of the way through the back of the Bible. It's one of the biographies of Jesus. 
Luke chapter 5, and I'm going to begin reading with verse 17. And if we can, without too much chaos, let's go old school and stand out of reverence for God's word. So listen to this encounter. One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. How awesome is that? Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, trying to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. And when they couldn't find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the roof in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, don't miss this, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he'd been lying on, and went home praising God. And everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe, and they said, we've seen remarkable things today. You may be seated. So this story is included in three of the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I think it's because it's so memorable and it's so compelling. Jesus already, and this is early in his ministry, he's already drawing crowds. I don't think he's yet unbelievably famous. He's not a rock star, which he will be eventually, but he's already drawing crowds and he's become well-known enough that he's drawn the curiosity and probably the concern of the religious authorities and leaders from as far away as Jerusalem. And in case you're wondering, they would have walked. It was the only mode of transportation and it was a four to seven day walk from Jerusalem to get to where Jesus was. These people were curious enough or maybe concerned enough that they had planned a week-long trip to go hear Jesus at a teaching venue. He's inside a large home, almost definitely, and probably because of the size of the crowd that was drawn. And four friends bring a paralytic, a man who may be quadriplegic, at least he can't use his legs, from their village or from a nearby village. You need to know that Luke uses an unusual term here. It's not the usual term used in the New Testament for paralytic. It's a more technical medical term. This is because Luke was a doctor. There are a variety of causes of paralysis in the ancient world. It could have been any number of diseases. It could have also been an accident. A donkey kicks your hip and it's not set right. Uh, you have a fall and something happens to your back and it's, it's untreatable. This man ends up paralyzed. But the critical thing is this was essentially a death sentence. It would have, first of all, shortened the life expectancy of anyone who was paralyzed. And then the other thing is, this person would have been unable to care for themselves. They were radically dependent on the community around them. In other words, a burden. Probably even a nuisance. But not to these friends. These guys were the kind of people who made an impact on others. They were the kind of people who wanted to do good. They were the kind of people who took their friend to God. Because they had a faith-filled determination to bring their friend to Jesus. So notice a couple of things about the encounter here. One, they overcame obstacles. Socially, physically, 
Socially, there's not space to go see Jesus. Also, socially, probably because people are thinking, why are they bringing Ed in? The guy's worthless. He sits around all day begging at the edge of the synagogue. Take him home. They've overcome obstacles. They've ignored criticism. Now, I'm reading between the lines, but I'm certain that there was criticism in the crowd that Ed has been brought to this event on his mat. They overcame and ignored these because of their faith-filled determination. Look at the creativity that they employed. It went up on the roof, took part of the roof apart, lowered this guy. I've always wanted to have this happen to me on a Sunday morning, by the way, be lowered. They were lowered right in front of Jesus. And look at the perseverance involved. They were creative and, and persevering because they were driven by a faith-filled determination. And they brought their friend to Jesus. They brought their friend to the Smicha rabbi. Okay, some of you were not here last week, and last week we talked about how young boys are trained in the Old Testament, and there's a weeding out process. Remember, at about age five, all young boys in Israel would be enrolled in Torah school. They would learn Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible. And at age 10, there was roughly 10, there was a weeding out process, and, and only the best students were kept on. And the best students would study from about age 10 to about age 17, they would study the rest of what we know of as the Old Testament, the historical books and Psalms and the prophets. And then at 17, there would be another weeding out process and only the best students would apply to a rabbi. And, and only a few of those students who applied to a rabbi would be entertained by this rabbi long enough to themselves be ordained and anointed officially and be given the authority to be a rabbi, and only a few of those would have the highest authority, the highest kind of ordination. The Hebrew word for it was smicha. And all through the crowds, all over Galilee, there was murmuring, there is a new smicha rabbi. That's why we said last week, so often you find these guys saying to Jesus, where did you get this authority? Where did this come from? How are you coming up with this? These four friends have heard the rumor that there is a new Smicha rabbi and he's coming to town. So they do everything in their power to bring their friend to Jesus because they know that Jesus is the answer to their friend's problem. And did you notice what Jesus did when he saw the paralyzed man? First of all, he doesn't reject him outright. He could have. Another rabbi might have said, what in the world are you guys doing? He does it. This is what Jesus does. Let's look at it again. When they could not find a way to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Okay, Jesus, seeing this man's need, seeing the faith-filled determination of his friends, he forgives his sins. Why does he do this? Well, it may be based on the notion that Jesus is aware that many of the people, maybe most of the people in the crowd, had this somewhat wrong-headed idea that whenever something's wrong in my life, it must be because of sin. The ancient Jews mostly believed that. By the way, we sometimes believe this as well. When things don't go well, we're occasionally tempted to think, why are you punishing me, God? Why is this happening? And this isn't correct. Often our difficulties and trials have nothing to do with sin. Often, in fact, often 
our difficulties and trials actually are our friend. They are the best spiritual training ground. Difficult times are oftentimes when we learn the most and grow the most. But sometimes our difficulties and trials are caused by sin. In chapter 5 of John's biography of Jesus, John recalls the time when Jesus had healed a guy outside the temple area. And later that day, Jesus saw that same guy and listen to what he says to him. See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Again, in another place in 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul is rebuking some of the early Christians at a little church in Corinth for how they were abusing worship. Specifically, you know, sometimes we do the Lord's Supper here at Gateway. And they were abusing the whole Lord's Supper meal and it it turned into a time of chaos. So Paul says this incredible thing in verse 30 of that chapter. He says, that's why many among you are weak and sick. Sin can be the direct cause of our difficulties and it may have been here in the case of the paralyzed man. Either way, Jesus begins addressing this paralyzed man's life with forgiveness. Let me repeat. He's paralyzed, and Jesus begins with forgiveness. He has no productive place in his society, and Jesus forgives his sins. So we learn something here, don't we? Jesus believed that the preeminent problem here for this man was forgiveness or the need for it. It always is. That always is the preeminent problem. That's why, in order to be a person of influence, we must have a faith-filled determination to bring our one to Jesus. He's the solution to our problem because he's the only one that can deal with our sin problem. All right, if you struggle with that idea, I get it. I'm going to talk more about that next week, so hang on. Now, I know that someone here is thinking, how in the world would I do this? I mean, practically, how do I do this? How do I have a faith-filled determination to bring my one to Jesus? So hang on. I'm about to say something that I hope is going to make some of us feel relieved, others of us a, a bit confused. You may even have an allergic reaction. But I think we start this by identifying our one. So I literally, if this is your first time here, we're going to be talking about this for the next two weeks after today. And then we'll revisit this periodically over the next several weeks. I want you to identify one person whom you are convinced needs to be pointed toward God. One person whose life needs hope. One person who needs Jesus. And I I want you to move toward that person with prayer. And we're going to help you do that. So we have built a one-month prayer guide. We've got paper copies of it outside in the lobby. And if you go to mygateway.life, go to the card that says, who's your one? If you click on that link, you'll get an email once a day, beginning June 1st this week. I'll send you another email this week to remind you. June 1st this week, you'll get a copy each day of what's printed out there in the printed guide if you don't want to do paper. And it's a brief 30-second prayer that will allow you to focus your attention and God's attention on your one. The prayer will give you a verse of scripture and then a brief prayer that has blanks where the name of your one goes. And each day during the month of June, we're all going to pray for our one and then we're going to watch what God does in us and around us. That's where we begin. Why would I want to do this? I'm not the kind of person who does that kind of thing and I don't even know if I want to be. 
Okay, at the risk of being arrogant, I'm going to disagree. You are that kind of person. There is spiritual awesomeness in you, and you were designed for this. You were designed for this. So if you've gone partially to sleep, I want you to wake up right now. You were designed for this. Let me tell you a little story that illustrates this. This is probably the favorite story in Allen family lore. I'm Ed Allen, and in our family, this is probably our favorite story. A few weeks ago, our oldest son, Jordan, who often leads worship for us here at Gateway, it was Jordan's birthday, and his girlfriend had different people in Jordan's life write letters to him, just celebrating him, which is his favorite thing to be celebrated. And so a bunch of his friends and his family, Diane and I, and his two brothers, wrote letters to Jordan to you know, celebrate Jordan. So for his birthday, we took him out to dinner, and Diane and I try to, we always say the boys, but they're men, the men and Diane and I try to go out to dinner once a month just to you know, be family, and they begrudgingly go with us. And at this dinner, we were celebrating Jordan's birthday. So it's a neat dinner. Turned into the best all-time Allen dinner, by the way. It was a really sweet moment, an incredible memory for our family. But one of the things that we decided to do at dinner is, I can't remember whose idea it was, probably Jordan, but somebody said, why don't we read the letters that celebrate me, or <laughs> whatever. So his girlfriend had them on her phone, so we decided that we would read our family's letters. And so Diane's letter was impossibly moving and sweet, and we're all crying. And then Graham's letter, his youngest brother, was hilarious. And then Dawson's letter. We read Dawson's letter, the middle brother. And Dawson's entire letter, pages, was about this incident that I'm about to tell you about. So they're little kids, and we're living in the Boston area, and one of their favorite things to do is Legos. And especially the two older boys are master Lego builders. So they're in their room one day, and they're building you know, some kind of Lego creation. And I don't think Jordan was in the room. I don't remember the details. But, and Dawson has built, self-styled, the most fantastic Lego creation. They need to now make a Lego official thing that is Dawson's design. It's spectacular. And this is unlike Dawson, but Dawson's pretty proud of this thing. And very like our family dynamics, Jordan comes into the room and sees something incredible and very cool that is also getting a lot of attention, and he wants his stamp on it. So Jordan says, hey, how about if I, and he's going to add to the design, and I have no idea where this language even came from, but Diane and I are not in the room. All we hear is Jordan in the other room trying to convince his brother, i.e. Badger his brother, saying, Dawson, this is going to be a win-win situation. <laughs> so it's a win for you because this thing is going to be even better, and it's a win for me because I just get to help my brother. It's a win-win, Dawson. Dawson is saying, no way. 30 minutes later, Jordan has badgered him into submission, so Dawson is willing to go along with Jordan's win-win situation. And Jordan goes over into the corner of the room and constructs something, you know, almost as large as Dawson's, and it's tacky, and it goes everywhere. And he's placing it onto the top of Dawson's Lego creation. And as you might imagine, there is a giant crash, and everything falls apart. And the next thing we know, there is a nuclear explosion in the bedroom, and everyone is going wild. 
So Diane and I go in there, and being the perfect parents we are, we try to bring order and remind them that, you know, God is good and he loves them, and they don't care. They're going crazy, and Legos are throwing everywhere, and we're, we're trying to, and I'm getting elevated, Diane's getting elevated, Dawson's getting elevated. So now it's a discipline situation. Not only am I mad at Jordan, I'm mad at Dawson because he's reacting like, you know, somebody just shot him in the foot, which in fact they did because his brother has abused him. It's up and up and up until Dawson says, and breaks the tension for all of us, Dawson says, that was definitely not a win-win situation. <laughs> you know what it was? It was a lose, 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 lose. Dawson lost, Jordan lost, Diane lost, I lost, the neighbors lost, Graham lost. I think they lost because Jordan violated Dawson's design. And that's what we do when we don't invest ourselves in pointing others toward God. we violate our design. And it's a lose-lose. They lose, and you lose. All right, let's wrap up. I was going to say more about that, but I'm going to get weird if I do. Let's go back to our four friends. Here's what we need to see about how they approached their problem. They approached it with faith. Actually, with a faith-filled determination. And honestly, we're going to need that as we think about our one. If you've thought about a one, you know that you're going to need faith-filled determination. That's why we're beginning with prayer. There will be obstacles, and we'll need to be creative. It will take time and energy, so we'll need to persevere. There may be criticism that we'll have to ignore. And we're going to have to stay focused on Jesus. Now, I know some of us don't get that part. But I, honestly, I have to tell you, that part's key. Jesus will be the key to this project. He's the only one that can answer the real problem. We're almost finished. Don't snooze on this part. I can't leave today without saying a quick word about that. I really believe our main problem, suburban Northern Virginians, our main problem is the distance between us and God. The distance between what we were designed to be and what we actually are. The distance between flawless and effective and smooth relationships and the kind of relationships we actually have with others. This distance is the source of all of our heartache, all of our loneliness, all of our worry and anxiety. This, this distance is what the Bible calls sin. That distance and the things that we do to create that distance. And we live... Like our main problem is the need for more comfort or more entertainment or more friends. We live like the main issue is we just need something about our circumstances to change. But that's not our main problem. They bring a paralyzed man to Jesus. And the first thing he says is, your sins are forgiven. I know that's a crazy thing to say, but it's true. Jesus is the only thing that can bridge those distances. Four friends, four people of influence, they bring their needy friend to Jesus and they say, in effect, help! We're desperate. We're going to lower him down through the roof. And Jesus says, wow, this is awesome. You guys are awesome. Hey, buddy, your sins are forgiven. You can be completely at peace with God and now you can be in right relationship with everyone around you. 
You can feel at home with yourself and with others. It's going to be tough at times. You're going to have to learn more and more how to be that kind of person. But you can be, and you're forgiven. You're free. Jesus dealt with the real problem. And all the religious leaders in the room, they say, wait a minute. You can't do that. You don't even have the authority. Nobody can do that but God. What are you talking about? And then to prove his point to them and to us, he did the unthinkable. Jesus said, I want to show you the kind of authority I have. Listen, buddy, take the mat that they brought you in on, stand up and walk home with your friends, go free. And he did. No wonder people were amazed at Jesus. Look, we know people in our lives who are an absolute mess. And I'm not talking about us, we're a mess too. But during this time, let's get beyond ourselves. Look, can I pause there for one second? I often say here at Gateway, I know some of you struggle with churches because everybody there is hypocrite. I need to tell you right up front, we're hypocrites. We're people who say one thing and do another. We're a mess. If you're a hypocrite and you want to lean into God more, you want to learn how to live and walk like Jesus, that's what we're doing. If you've got it all together, you might need to go to another church because you're going to make the rest of us feel really bad. But you know people other than yourself who are a mess. And we know people who desperately need hope. And they need help. To be a person of influence for good and for God, we must exercise faith-filled determination to bring those people to Jesus. So let's start with prayer. Let's exercise the kind of influence that God designed us to exercise. Let's pray. So Lord Jesus... We look to you this morning. We focus on you this morning. We acknowledge that you are the answer to our problems. And we are so wrong-headed about that so many times. And we kind of go in a different direction and it doesn't work out. And we don't learn. We do the same thing again a year later. And we ask you to forgive us. And we ask you this morning to remind us that it's you I also pray, Lord, that you would literally move in our hearts and minds to show us the one in our life. Put your finger on them and show us who they are and inspire us to pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, stand with me. Before we go home, let's sing a verse and a chorus of... Wider. Okay, you call me wider and deeper. Pretty cool. Look, this week, June 1, let's start praying. If this is your first time here, join us. If you're not going to connect the gateway, kind of don't blame you. I get it. But do it anyway. Do, do it. Because you've been designed for this. And this is a good first step. I don't know who it is. I don't know if it's somebody at work. I don't know if it's a neighbor. I don't know if it's somebody in your household. Identify your one and start praying and let's watch what God does. All right. Thanks for coming, y'all.